You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Let's open in some prayer, and then we have a bunch of scriptures to read up front. After all, it is a Bible study, and hope you have some notebooks, your Bible, a pen, if you're really old school, a pencil. And uh, let's take some notes and dig in. So we're going to open in a word of prayer. And because he is tried and tested, I'm going to see if Mike Mandia could open us in a word of prayer this evening. You can unmute yourself and open in prayer if you can, Mike. All right. Uh, Lord God, we just thank you so much that... um... Your love is poured out on us abundantly. Um, And Lord, uh, sometimes we see ourselves in this life as as just insignificant and worms. But we thank you that you don't see us that way, that you made the stars and the heavens, the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And you continually every day show us that there's nothing too hard for you. And uh, we just thank you for the family of God. Uh, We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you uh, that it is our daily bread and you are our daily bread. And together we share this communion together. And even tonight as we gather around, Lord, and listen to what you have to say, we want to have ears to hear what your spirit says to the church. And so... um, Make us uh, attentive to you, Lord, and uh, and just bless everyone as they gather together here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Mike. We're going to start with Ephesians 6, verse 10, some verses that we read last week, and then we're going to read a mouthful from Isaiah chapter 59. So we'll start with Ephesians 6, 10, and it says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak and then we're going to read here from isaiah chapter 59 and we're going to read the section of scripture where Paul gets the idea of the armor of God. But we have to read first why Isaiah prophesies for that armor 
And I need everybody to know, whenever we're reading texts like Isaiah 59, and Isaiah is prophesying against Israel and their wickedness or their idolatry, I never want anybody to hear that and think the Jewish people or people of the Old Covenant. It's not appropriate to appropriate the scriptures that way. Whenever you're reading what we call the Old Testament, which is what everybody in the New Testament called the scriptures, whenever he's talking about faithless Israel, he's talking about the people of God of whom we now all are. So when we talk about the Pharisees, we're not talking about people of the old covenant. We're talking about believers and the people of God. And so I don't want our mind to make that leap and say, oh, faithless Israel, I'm not part of them. When we reread these verses in light of the new covenant of the gospel, we all are the people of God in what we call the Old Testament. We all are the Pharisees in what we call the New Testament. We all are the Gentiles because there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, right? There's neither Gentile nor Jew. So everybody is one and we have to read it that way. So when Isaiah is talking about faithless Israel here and their inability to perform justice in the world. Read it like he's prophesying against us. That's the only way to read it now. Otherwise, we're reading it in an anti-Semitic way, in a bit of a racist way, or at the very least, in a bit of an elitist way, and not the way the Spirit wants us to be faithful to the text. So this is a Bible study on spiritual warfare, so it gets a little heavy. And here we go. Isaiah 59, we're going to read the whole chapter. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit in court justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. I know we all do this, because I know I do this. They hatch adder's eggs, I don't know if I do that, but they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one treads on them. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. 
For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. How do we do that? Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. This is true of the church right now. I just want everybody to know in our country, we need to do better as the church to bring justice to bear in the earth. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Here comes the armor of the Lord. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. So that was a lot. That was a lot to read. And what I love about this text before we jump into the full Bible study, is that God realizes that his people are not bringing justice to bear in the earth. So he puts on the breastplate of righteousness and he puts on the helmet of salvation and he girds himself, you know, with the sword of the spirit and he executes over us vengeance and repayment. But if you read the text carefully, the vengeance and the repayment lead to us having the fear of the Lord, lead to his glory being in the people, and leads to the return of Jacob, and leads to his spirit and his word being forever in our mouth. And so God's vengeance and the way he executes war, as you've heard me say many times, he destroys those things in us that are destroying us. He destroys those things in us that are destroying others. He destroys those things in us that are keeping us from him. So when we put on the armor of the Lord, primarily the armor of God that Jesus put on prophesied in Isaiah 59, the armor that Jesus put on was not armor to destroy pagans. It was armor to come after his own people and bring forth and fight in such a way that righteousness is wrought into the people of God. This is why Thomas Akempis, the 
one of the most famous uh, Roman Catholic priests, he prayed every morning, Lord, if you're going to destroy, if you're going to conquer anybody today, please start by conquering my heart. If you're going to conquer anybody today, start by conquering my heart. Because Thomas Akempis knew that when Jesus conquers something, when he conquers land, that land is not left desolate, it's left fruitful. When he conquers land, he doesn't burn it down, he builds it up. He uproots, he tears down, but only to build up. And so the armor of God that we get to wear is really our testimony that we've been changed, and now we want to go into the world and bring this change through our lives that brings forth justice, that brings forth equity, that brings forth righteousness in the world. The church should have something to say to the injustices, both small and great, that we see in our lives. And I believe that there are many churches doing a wonderful job, and I believe that there are many churches where God is still speaking Isaiah 59 over them until they repent, until they put on the armor of God that is not lethal armor against the unbelievers, but provisional armor for unbelievers, for us to have humility and righteousness and salvation and truth and the gospel of peace. If you want to hear more about the armor of God, go to Salem Podcasts. There's a 90-minute Bible study on that from last week. I want to pivot a little bit from the armor of God to talk about what happens as Christians when we decide I'm going to get deeper into the life of Christ. I'm going to begin to follow the leading of the Spirit, and you do. You start to join the church. You start to wear the armor of God that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. You start to go to work differently. You start to read your Bible differently. You start to view yourself with more mercy and grace and humility, and stop beating yourself up for every little thing, you start offering other people that same mercy and grace, and stop beating, you start to live a life worthy of your calling, and then immediately the enemy comes to attack you, to stop that momentum. And I know from me to all of you, you have had those moments where you are rolling along, your things are going well, you have a healthy life of joy and repentance, and you're growing, and you're making strides, and then bam, these little attacks of the devil come, and it feels like they set you back months, feels like it sets you back years, feels like your attitude went from one of glory and joy to toxicity, and it's like, how can we be able to recognize way at the beginning of an attack? what the enemy is trying to do, how we can discern that voice from the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of hope, and begin to maybe reach out for help to not let that season, you know, become, to not let that day become a season, so to speak. So that's what I want to talk about. When we are wearing the armor of God, when we are moving forward in unity as a church, when you're in healthy relationship with the body of Christ, when you have a good routine of prayer and service and friendship in your life, it is like, when is the attack coming? 
I know it's coming soon. When's the next pipe gonna burst, God, in the church, and we're gonna have to go back on Zoom again? Like, you're waiting for this stuff. So that's what I would like to speak about tonight. Um, before I jump in any further to three ways that the enemy attacks us, any thoughts, questions, comments while I take a sip of coffee and water? Okay, so here we go. We're going to start with a quote from John Chrysostom. He was Bishop of Constantinople in the mid to late 300s, a very long time ago. And here's what he said about spiritual warfare. The enemy does not make war on us straightforwardly or openly, but by his wiles. What are the devil's wiles? They consist in trying to capture us by some shortcut and always by deceit. The devil never openly lays temptation before us. He does not mention idolatry out loud. But by his stratagems, he presents idolatrous choices to us by persuasive words and by employing clever euphemisms. I'm going to read that again. The enemy does not make war on us straightforwardly or openly, but by his trickery. What are the devil's tricks? They consist in trying to capture us by some shortcut and always by deceit. The devil never openly lays temptation before us. And this is my favorite line in the whole quote. He does not mention idolatry out loud but by his stratagems by his strategies he presents us with idolatrous choices what this means and you guys can take that down what this means is that the devil presents us with multiple choices that are all wrong and doesn't care which one we choose he doesn't mention idolatry out loud. He sends, I believe that these days, he sends attitudes into us more than anything else. Sends crankiness. Anybody been cranky before? Frank, I know you've been cranky before. No, you've never been cranky before. That's true. Kayla, you've never been cranky before. I know most people never been cranky before. I'm the only one who gets cranky from time to time. So there are three evil spirits that disrupt times of growth. And this is from, these ideas are from St. Ignatius of Loyola, a Spanish priest from the 1500s who did a lot of wonderful work on spiritual warfare. And he gave three evil spirits that disrupt times of growth. Three evil spirits that disrupt times of growth. Um, just real fast, David and Ian, like I, I see it on the screen there, but I don't see it on the zoom feed. So I just want to make sure they're seeing the slide. There we go. Now I do. I just want to make sure they're seeing the slides. Cool. Cool. Okay. So number one, evil spirit, the spoiled child disrupts growth through a whiny, cranky, toxic, false promise. 
This is when the enemy speaks to us like he was a cranky child, creating a cranky childness in us by getting us to be a little whiny, a little cranky, a little toxic because we are believing a false promise that isn't coming to fruition because it's not a real promise. But if that doesn't work, if he doesn't get us that spoiled child, he will go to a little bit more difficult and he will go to a, he'll become a secret lover. A secret lover. And what is this? Disrupts growth through the seductive power of private handling. In other words, my sin, I'm aware of it. I know I have it, but I'm going to keep it to myself and I'm just going to handle it on my own, and I'm not going to tell anybody else about it. I'm pretty sure I know what it is, and I'm pretty sure I can handle it by myself. And there's this, there's this seductive nature, and there's this secrecy that makes it kind of exciting to keep our sin to ourselves, to not talk to anybody about it, and then believe the false promise that we can handle it on our own. And if that doesn't work, he becomes the military commander. If, if he's a military commander in your life, it's because you're doing really well. You've made it through spoiled child. You've said no to the secret lover. And now he's coming after you, guns blazing. And this is when he disrupts growth through attacking our weaknesses, our complacency, and our pride. So he'll start as the spoiled child, getting us a little cranky. He'll turn into the secret lover, making us think it's exciting to keep our sin to ourselves, and we don't need to tell anybody, and we feel like we're having this time with the Holy Spirit, but really we're being seduced into a seductive privacy that is not healthy. And if all else fails, he becomes the military commander, and he goes after you by attacking your weaknesses your complacency, those areas in your life where you just don't care, you're fine, and your guard is down, and of course, our pride. And so, I'm going to talk about all three of these using a biblical story for each, and then we'll, we'll unpack it a little bit further. But this is exciting to me. I love when somebody gives us something that's neatly packaged like that. So, spoiled child, secret lover, military commander. What I want you all to do is I want you all to hear this that I'm going to explain, and then I want each of you to think about where do these three evil spirits show up in the story that we all know of Adam and Eve. So I'm going to explain them to you, and then I want you thinking, what, what part of the Adam and Eve story can you see the spoiled child, can you see the secret lover, can you see the military commander? If we have time. We'll have that discussion. If we don't, we'll have it next week. And as always, starting now, please interrupt me. If you have a question, I don't want to move on. I want to explain things. If you want to unmute and ask the question, great. If you want to text in that you have a question, if you want to text the question, these guys will let me know, and uh, you can do that. So please feel free. Any question you have, everybody else has it too. So just don't worry about it. So. Without further ado, the spoiled child. And we're going to use the story from Genesis chapter 4 of Cain. The story, Genesis chapter 4 of Cain, who murders his brother Abel. Spoiled child. 
The spoiled child disrupts growth through a whiny, cranky, toxic, false promise. And this evil spirit hits us easiest when, we, when it's brought on by fatigue. When it's brought on by fatigue. And what is fatigue? Fatigue is the moment you say, I'm done, but things are not done enough for you to say, I'm done. It's the moment where you say, I'm tapping out, and there's still all kinds of stuff left to do. You're exhausted, you're tired, and now you don't care about your attitude anymore. You don't care about how you're coming across. You don't care if you finish the task or not. You're tapping out, and you're like, that's it. In that moment, the whiny, cranky, evil spirit can fill our lives to the fullest. So what do we know about Cain? Number one, this evil spirit views, listen carefully, correction as if it was rejection. So you know that you're dealing with this wily little spirit. If somebody goes to correct you and you feel like they're rejecting you, you might be dealing with the spoiled child evil spirit. He might just be messing with you, chirping in your ear. When, when God said to Cain, hey, you know, thank you for bringing this offering, but did you consider your brother Abel's offerings? You might want to look at what he brought. Immediately, Cain doesn't enter into a discipleship relationship with God. He immediately feels like he's rejected by God. And God says to him, you haven't sinned yet. Sin is waiting for you in this moment. Cain, you're cranky. You're upset. You're tired. You've been working in the field. And I'm trying to teach you about the way you bring me offerings. And I've seen your countenance fall. I've seen your attitude change. I see you looking at me, but you don't see me. The light of your face has gone away. You're tired. You're exhausted. At this point, Cain's sin is crouching at the door, waiting for you. Cain is now being disrupted by the spoiled child spirit. It's messing with him. And instead of getting interested, Lord, how can I bring an offering to you that's pleasing to you? He's getting angry and he feels like correction is rejection. And what does he do? The next thing is he can't listen without acting. And I want you to see this. He can't listen without acting. God speaks to Cain and says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then the next verse says, Cain spoke to his brother. So look at this. God speaks to Cain, and Cain never responds to God. He immediately responds to Abel. Cain, uh, God speaks to Cain, and there's no dialogue between Cain and God. Cain immediately turns from God and speaks to Abel. And then we never get to hear what Abel said back because Cain killed him before he could speak. So look at this. Cain is cranky. He's irritated. He's irritable. He feels rejected. And so he, God speaks to him, but he doesn't listen. He turns around and he speaks to Abel. 
And then Abel presumably tries to talk to him, but he doesn't listen. He kills his brother. So you know that you're being hampered by the spoiled child spirit when you're fatigued, when you feel like any type of correction or opinion or piece of advice is a rejection of your whole life. You just feel totally slammed by the person and all they did was say, hey, maybe you want to go take a walk for five minutes and calm down. I'm fine. How dare you? But if in that moment, you might be dealing with a little spoiled child crankiness. And then if you can't listen, like we, we often talk about listening to respond, but this is even worse. This is listening to act. If you can't sit still and not try to handle it yourself, you might be dealing with the cranky child in you. How do you withstand this particular attack of spiritual warfare? Spiritual direction. In that moment, you need somebody to help you see where you are in light of where God is and the circumstances around you. You cannot in this moment, just decide to do better. You need a good friend. You need somebody. And we're going to talk about this in the next one. You need somebody to help spiritually direct you in that moment. And don't wait until you're throwing rocks to realize something's wrong. And like Jesus said, we don't just kill people physically. We kill them with our words. We kill them with our looks. We kill them with indifference. We kill them by not being around by withdrawing our presence. And then justice isn't done, like it says in Isaiah 59. So maybe this is only me, spoiled child. I didn't make it past round one. I, don't have, I have no experience with secret lover or military commander because I'm always hampered by the spoiled child. I feel like St. Ignatius saw me in the future and said, I'm going to describe Pastor Bill. Spoiled child, whiny, cranky, and, and this... The final thing I want to say here is the reason why we get whiny and cranky is because we believe a false promise. Things go wrong, like the, the pipe burst in the church. And my first thought is, God, we're supposed to have a building that never breaks because we tithe and we honor you and we worship there. And, and then, you know, I said, like, in my head, I'm like, your word says that, you know, our buildings will never break. God's like, it doesn't say that anywhere. Your building is going to break as much as anybody else's building. It's your job to show people how to be faithful and hopeful when buildings break. And I'm like, no, that's, I don't agree with you, God. I disagree with you vehemently right now. I disagree. And it's like, all of a sudden you can start to say things like, why is this happening to me? I, I'm living right. This shouldn't be happening to me. Cain could be saying, hey, I brought you the best of what I have. You're just supposed to accept it. False promises. False promises. The church is not exempt from the brokenness of a northeast winter than any other building is. It's our job to show the world how to keep going when things keep happening. But when you get cranky, you don't see that. You start to buy into a false promise that nothing is supposed to happen to us. And all of a sudden, you're getting mad. And so that's when you need to call somebody and say, hey, my brain is scrambled eggs right now. I'm starting to get irritated. 
Somebody say something to me, please. Somebody help me here. Let me let me get myself ready and let me lead through this situation well. You got to make that phone call. Everybody said to me on Sunday, man, you handled that really well. You want to know why? Because I called a couple of my friends before I got in the car to come to the church and said, hey, guys, it's about to pop off in my head here. Can you can you talk to me? And I had some good friends remind me of what it means to be a priest, remind me of what it means to know that the outer things are passing away, but the spiritual things that we're doing are going to last forever. And right away, boom, focus, laser focus comes back. So that's uh, that's cranky, spoiled child. Questions, thoughts, comments? Is it cranky or Frankie? Cranky Frankie. <laughs> Frank, one time recently, Dad actually texted me and said, me and Cranky are going to get dinner tonight. And then he corrected it to Frankie. So maybe prophetic, maybe, you know, God's trying to tell you something. Yeah, I don't get Cranky. I get Frankie. <laughs> yeah, which means very direct. Very direct. Very candid. Right away, good communicator. <laughs> Hi, so this... Yeah, go ahead. Hi, this is Diane. I have a question. Okay, so we're getting, we're recognizing it in ourselves. But what do we do when we're recognizing it in someone that we're faced You know, in a situation where you are not the person, but the, you're you're with the person. I guess you'll go over that in in regards to all the categories. Yeah, I Can would say I would say for starters here, mm -hmm. we we have such an emphasis when it comes to spiritual warfare of wanting to see it <laughs> or being able to see it in others. I think Sorry. number one the terror now. Did, did you have more question? No, that was the dog, actually. <laughs> um, I, I think we should just stick with what it says in both Isaiah 59 and in uh, Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit, and he says, praying at all times and making intercession for the saints. And then in Isaiah 59, one of the reasons why God puts the armor on himself is because he says there's no man to intercede. And so I think before we ever open our mouth and talk to somebody else, we should have spent at least 24, 48, 72 hours praying for them and interceding for them because, again, you might not realize that their crankiness is causing you to be cranky and you might be more cane than you are able in that moment. And so in both spiritual warfare texts, Isaiah 59 and Ephesians 6, the number one thing that triggers God is that people are not interceding. They're talking, they're judging, they're yelling, but they're not interceding. And so I think, you know, before we see this in other people and comment on it, we need to yeah. intercede, we need to pray, because we don't know. We don't know where they're at. We don't know. We don't know if what they're dealing with is 
the product of something that is wrong or mm -hmm. is their response to something that happened to them and it's a healthy response to it. They mm -hmm. should be cranky. They should be irritated. They should be mm -hmm. irritable. So intercession, I think, always has to come long before conversations or confrontations. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Thank you. Good question. Very, very good question. Okay. Any Anything else on spoiled child, a.k.a. Theodore? Just kidding. Any, any anybody else? Pastor? Yeah. Um I think one thing that God has given us is the is a gift to be able to stop and think and become aware of that crankiness coming on you like you feel it coming on you're fatigued you you have uh, an issue that you're dealing with and i i think like god wants a, he he's given us a gift of love and mercy to be able to stop and think and become aware of what's going on so we can respond accordingly and that's where the maybe where the prayer comes in you know before you respond and start a big argument you stop and you pray and you ask for god's mercy yes i think yeah. that's exactly right a hundred percent and i i'm going to i'm always going to lean so if there's if there's multiple things that the people of god should be doing and as a pastor i discern that we do one of say the three things really, really well, I'm going to talk about the other two more than I talk about the one we're doing well. And so, and, and there's just no way to help people unhear this, but yes, you have to go to God on your own personally. I mean, I want everybody to write down in their notebook in large letters, personal, not private. We should have a personal relationship with God, but not a private relationship with God. So this, you can go and say, Lord, I need mercy. I need grace. But one of the ways that he pours that out is through somebody else talking to you and being there for you in that moment. And that brings us to secret lover because the secret lover temptation is the temptation for us to think I can go to my prayer closet and I can handle this myself. And I could get a word from the Lord, and then I could leave my prayer closet and be good. And that is something Satan wants us to think. We, in our culture, in our time right now, don't talk to each other enough about the stuff that we're We talk to each other about what we're going through, but we don't talk to each other enough about our sin. We talk a lot these days about what we're going through, maybe too much about what we're going through, but we don't have a person or two that we talk to about our weaknesses when they're being triggered. I know myself. 
I know I do really well when a when a when an emergency initially hits. Jacqueline could tell you. I was in the shower when she told me about the pipe bursting. By the time I got out of the shower, I was making decisions, deciding what to do, on the phone with the insurance company, preaching a sermon, meeting with the trustees, got them all to the church, making decisions. But here's what I knew. On Monday, I'm going to have an issue. My adrenaline kicks in, boom, something happens and I'm there for it. But then when that drama goes down, I knew Monday was going to be my vulnerable day. Monday was when I was going to get into my head, get into my feelings, get cranky. And that's when I needed to reach out to some people, not just Jacqueline, and we're going to talk about this. To those who are married, your spouse cannot be the only person that you talk to, because if the two are actually one, which we believe, peace signs, if we believe that the two are one when you get married, if the two are one, then when you talk to your spouse, you're still only talking to yourself. If you and your spouse are really one, then you talking to your spouse is the same as you talking to yourself. It's helpful, but you need somebody else. It cannot just be a spouse. For those who are married and, are, and, and you're in a good marriage, the temptation is going to be that you get so comfortable with the person you're the most comfortable with that you end up still being seduced by privacy and not having someone, and, and I want you to write this down, you ready? Someone who is, clo who is far, who's close enough to you to be effective, but far enough from you to be objective. Everyone needs someone in their life who's close enough to be effective, but far enough to be objective. Close enough to be effective, far enough to be objective. Do not tell everybody your stuff, but have somebody that is not your very best friend or your spouse, somebody that is far enough to be objective, but close enough to be effective. Tell them, hey, man. You know, I, 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 have the, I, have these, I have these guys in my life, and I called two of them on Monday and said, hey, I can feel the emotional strain of what's happening at Salem with the building. You know, give, give, me, give me some daily bread here, guys. And that was the day. I know myself. I'm aware of myself. Sunday, I was going to be great. Tuesday, I was going to be back on my feet. Monday, Monday was the day that I needed, I needed a little help from my friends. Jacqueline, of course, she's with me every step of the way. Nothing goes on that we're not talking about, but we each need that other person that can be far enough to be objective, close enough to be effective. So to, to, to continue this line, the secret lover, we're going to talk about Jonah. Jonah. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord and pays a fare, pays a toll to get away from God, and doesn't tell anybody where he's going. He doesn't tell anyone where he's going. There's something kind of exciting about that when you're just on the run spiritually, and everyone thinks you're fine, and you know inside you're not, but you're not going to tell anybody about it, and you're, and, and you're on the run. You're seduced by privacy, 
And then when the storm hits, Jonah's asleep. And no one knows initially why the storm is coming. But Jonah knows, but he's asleep. And there's this seductive kind of sleep that can come over us where we're just like, God's going to figure this out. He knows what he's doing. He knows me. I don't need to tell anybody. I can work this out on my own. I can hear from God on my own. And this story is telling us that we can get enchanted with privacy. So what are the circumstances that this evil spirit of privacy, what does it look for? It looks for shame. It's brought on by shame. It's brought on by shame. It's when we feel like if I tell somebody what's really going on inside of me, I'm not going to be viewed as a good pastor. I'm not going to be viewed as a good dad. I'm not going to be viewed as a good husband. So I'm just going to maybe say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm really going through something, but I'm not going to confess my sin to somebody else and say, I need help for this. I'm fleeing from the presence of God. Jonah doesn't do that. And it doesn't just hurt him. It starts to hurt everybody else around him. This, this spirit attacks us and causes us to mistake being personal with being private. A personal relationship with God is important, but when it gets private, when we become an island, we think we're handling things like Jonah, but things are getting worse exponentially so. It mistakes avoidance with Sabbath rest. Jonah's asleep. He thinks it's a good sleep. Maybe he thinks God is giving him that sleep because he knows I'm going through this. He knows I'm frustrated. He knows I'm sinful. At least he's letting me sleep in a storm. But that's not a storm he should have been sleeping in. It's a storm he was causing. It's not a storm he should have been sleeping in. But he's quiet about it. He's private about it. He's not telling anybody. And it's getting worse. Now, I want everybody to see this. When Jonah finally tells people what's happening, when he finally confesses that he was fleeing from God, he immediately gets courage he didn't have before. And he says, look, you're going to have to throw me off this boat. There's such humility in that statement. He's saying now, I'm not good enough. I'm not righteousness, righteous enough. I'm not able to do what God's telling me to do. So you guys got to throw me there. You got to toss me into the will of God because I can't do it by myself. And as soon as they do, the storm stops. Confession, we, we withstand this seductive uh, evil spirit with confession and communication. Having somebody that you say, I am doing this wrong to. And again, somebody far enough to be objective, close enough to be effective. And don't just get cozy with the people who are the closest to you. Especially, I'm talking to married couples, specifically if your marriage is going really well. If your marriage is terrible, you don't have this problem because you don't tell each other anything probably. But if the marriage is going really well, you might be able to start to think, well, you know, my husband is the one who disciples me and my wife is the one who disciples me and we tell each other things so we don't need to talk to anybody else. That can get you into a lot of trouble. 
a lot of trouble. Now watch this. Jonah tells, Jonah becomes honest. I, everybody has to hear this. This is an incredible, incredible point. If I do say so myself, before I even say it, I'm going to say this is an incredible point. So everybody get ready. Jonah tells everybody, I don't want to go where God is sending me. I'm hiding. I don't want to go. When he doesn't tell anybody, he's in a storm and everybody's can't go from point A to point B because of the storm. When he confesses his sin, his mind does not change. <clears throat> he still doesn't want to go. He still is angry that God is going to heal Nineveh. He's still angry that Nineveh is going to repent. He has a whole conversation with God about how he's still angry that all of this is happening. His heart never changes, but he all of a sudden walks in anointing. He's anointed even when he's still sinning. He doesn't want to go and tell everybody to repent, but he's honest about it. And when he does, the whole city repents. Manhattan repents. Everybody, from the president down to the cats, read the story. It ends with the word tattle. They all repent, even though Jonah's still mad about it. When we are honest, about where our sin is, our anointing can work before our sin even stops. And everybody said amen, because all of us are always in that. Even when he was still sinning, when he was honest about it, the anointing of God fell on him to do what he was cranky about, but when he did it anyway, amazing results happened. So there's something about Having somebody that you can confess to, that you can say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I don't want it to be hidden. I want to be in the light as he is in the light. Even when we haven't fully gotten over the area of our sin, we can still be productive when we're in the light as he is in the light. It's when we hide in the seductive darkness of our sin that storminess comes about us and the people around us. Because God loves us. The storm God hurled at Jonah is a storm that brought him to a new and better place, as the storms of God often do. Okay. It's so weird to just look at people's little tiny squares and boxes here. So I, uh, I assume you're all just like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm so glad we did this. It's incredible. Any questions or thoughts, comments, add-ons? Fears, disagreements, frankiness, frankiness. If I'm being franky, confession, in, in the context that you just shared it from the story of Jonah, in our lives, as we walk daily, daily confession, again, you know, not being fooled with private versus personal but would you encourage confession to be like uh, not only with god in our prayer time and our confession time but also with another person is, is, are we kind of kind of moving in that direction uh in, in that context that you just shared um 
let's pick a safe middle ground here. When you know that there is something germinating in you that is something you know you can work through. Like you, you, there's certain things that hit us and we're like, all right, I'm in a bad spot. I need five minutes. I'll be okay. Like we know that. You don't need to go calling people. Right. But when something hits you and you can tell, you know, like when you're getting a cold, you can tell this is going to be a 24 hour cold. And then other times you can just tell that cold has taken up residence somewhere deep in your chest. And you know, this cold is going to be around for a little while. Like when you're dealing with something in yourself that is not pointing towards the Lord and you know this is going to, this could, this is going to hang around for a little bit. At that point, I'm not advocating for a Roman Catholic, come and talk to your priest, because honestly, I don't want to hear everybody's stuff. I don't. I love you. I care about you. I'm not trying to hear everybody's sense. What I am suggesting is there should be somebody where you say, yo, I'm dealing, I'm, I'm dealing with very vengeful thoughts about this person. And I know if I don't talk about it, these vengeful thoughts are going to get rationalized. They're going to become okay with me. And I'm going to be having mental conversations with this person for the next six months. And it's just going to make me all kinds of toxic. I do suggest that you go to somebody that you trust and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm working through this lust and it's not going to go away easily. I'm working through anger and it's not going to go away easily. I'm working through discouragement that's turning into a lack of trust and it's not going to go away easily. Yeah, I think you got to you got to get on the phone, you got to get coffee, you got to go for a walk with somebody at that point. And I'm not dis, I'm not removing our spouses, especially in a healthy marriage, but I'm saying it has to be that if you're married, but there has to be something like outside the house that you also can anchor into for those moments. Uh, an accountability partner for a term that we haven't used in a really long time that has has a place. Of course, it has a place. But that that kind of thing, I think, is is very, very important. And yes, Jacqueline and I and the elders, we're here for that. If you need to call us, it's confidential, it's private. We will communicate to you the grace of God and remind you that you're walking in victory. And we will also pray with you and we will help you be in the light as he is in the light. So if, if, you, if you need it to be us, of course, that's what we're here for. But it doesn't have to be. It can be, you know, a, a good, healthy, spiritual friend that you have that you know you can trust. Does that make sense, Frank? Oh, very helpful. I mean, I just wanted to calibrate, right? Because as soon as the Zoom ends, everybody's calling everybody, right? I just... <laughs> <laughs> no, we got uh, Mike. Mike Mandia actually hurt his hand building a confessional booth for us in the back of the church, <laughs> and so that's you know as soon as his hand heals, he's going to finish that. Yeah. No, very helpful. It, it you know it, it um, scopes you know the differences between spilling your guts to everyone and knowing when it's the right time to engage someone. Thank you. And and. A, I was just kidding about the confessional booth. I really, you know, I don't know what communicates through Zoom here, but Mike is not doing that. And I, I, I've said this a thousand times, and um, Jesus had 500 followers. Jesus had 12 disciples. Out of those 12 disciples, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. 
And out of those three disciples, John got the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I think Jesus even models only three people got to hear Jesus say, if it's your will, let this cup pass. Only three people got to see Jesus sweat drops of blood. That wasn't for everybody. It wasn't for the 500 who were following him. It wasn't for the 12 that were following him. It was for three of those 12. And I think he models for us the fact that we have to have large, fun relationships, a smaller group of like a little bit more intimate and intense relationships, and then an even smaller group of people who like see you in your worst moments, right? And so I think we can follow that model. And then, and then John is the one of the 500 who gets the revelation of Jesus Christ and writes it down for us. Um, so I think it's important for us to follow that model. Like Jesus saying, if it's your will, let this cup pass. That's not for everybody, but he needed a couple of people to hear him say. And what does he even say, Frank? He even says to Peter, James, and John, pray with me. Like God in the flesh is asking us to pray with him because he's having trouble. And they right? fell asleep. And they fell asleep. <laughs> and he woke right. them up and prayed for them because he's God <laughs> and he's amazing and that's what he does. So, yeah, I think I think we need to have that small group of people that we can reach out to that will tell us the truth, that will tell us the truth. Thank you. Ian, was there something on there? Yes. So, Lori chatted in, what if you have confessed repeatedly and are still struggling? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Excellent question. That so right there, Lori, gr great question. Um, what if you've <laughs> confessed repeatedly, repented repeatedly, and you're still struggling with it? I call that a solid Tuesday afternoon in my life, personally. Um, that just sounds like a week in the life of uh, all of us. But I think what we're going for here, everyone, and this is something you're going to hear me and Jacqueline talk about in a couple of weeks with the men and women, we have to live our life and not manage our life. And we're going to dive into what this means in a couple of weeks. We have to live our life and not manage our life. We're going to struggle with stuff over and over and over and over again. We're going to. God knows we're going to. God knows that other people are going to do things to us over and over and over again. It's getting on a journey with somebody and staying on it and looking for baby steps, incremental growth. Odds are when you first started struggling with something, you weren't saying I'm struggling with something. If you can get to the point where you're like, I keep struggling with this. It's not right. I don't want it in my life, but I'm still struggling with it. You don't realize how much healing has already occurred in your life to be able to say that, to be able to know that. To be able to say, man, I'm frustrated with myself. I'm tired of going through this. That's healing. That's the new man or the new woman in you rising up and getting a little stronger every single day. So as Bishop Q reminds me, some things are we're going to be able to see them so clearly. And we're going to say, this is good in my life and this is bad in my life. Other things are going to be like the wheat and the tares, and we just got to let them grow because we can't tell. We can't tell. I mean, so the, the last thing I'll say to Lori's question is, if you're struggling with something over and over and over again, it might be an indication 
that the action that you're struggling with is not nearly as important as the reasons why you're struggling with it and you haven't yet tapped into the reason why. When we manage our life, we look at our actions. When we live our life, we look at the reasons. Anybody can get their actions under control and have healed zero on the inside. I think Jesus said it best. You could be a cup that's clean on the outside and still filthy, right, on the inside. And so, Lori, I would say, A, give yourself a lot of grace. This is the Christian life. We're going to fumble with things over and over and over again. And get on a journey with somebody and look for baby steps. Look for incremental growth. Look for, uh, like I said on, on New Year's Day, look for the direction you're trending not the area where you actually are. Where are you heading? Not where are you actually. If the car is pointed in the right direction and you're going one mile an hour down the road, you are going in the right direction and that deserves to be celebrated in somebody's life. I want, I want to say one more thing about that as, uh, well, that's what I do. So I'm going to say one more thing about that. When Peter says to Jesus, how often am I to forgive my brother should I forgive my brother seven times? So let's pretend I went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I got to forgive my brother Frankie. He's cranky Frankie, and I got to forgive him. How many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says, you got to forgive Frankie 70 times, seven times. Like 490 times. I've always read that as Jesus saying, Frankie is going to keep sinning and you need to forgive him every time. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I think Jesus was saying to Peter, you have to keep trying to forgive him until you finally do. And that might take you 490 times. I don't think Peter's brother was doing the same thing 490 times. I think Jesus would say, get out of that relationship, right? I think what Jesus was saying is you're going to have to work on this forgiveness thing until it works, and that might be 70 times, seven times, but keep going until it works. And so, Lori, I, I think, like, you know, to, to that question, I think that's what he's saying. Keep going. It's going to work. Just keep going. Just keep moving forward with it. Just keep trying. To God, the trying is everything. The effort is everything. The, the, the desire to get it right is everything. That was good. Pastor, there are two questions in the chat. Is someone monitoring those yeah, questions? Ian's, Ian's gonna Ian's gonna throw them at oh. me right now. Okay. First one from Stephanie. Hi, Pastor. There are times trauma has sometimes caused people to live more internally. What would be a baby step for someone viewing confession as a huge step? Excellent, excellent question, Steph. That's, that's just what Stephanie does. She stays quiet and then drone strikes like this massive, perfect question. No, Steph, I, I think, and to everybody who, who says this, this is, uh, this is near and dear to mine and Jacqueline's heart on this. There, there's a lot of Christian ethic that is very reckless. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm talking in generalities, but Stephanie brings up an amazing point. If you've dealt with trauma and you're having issues trusting people and you're having issues opening up to people 
and the last seven times you did that, you got hurt really, really bad. I think at that point, and this is what Jacqueline and I always say, this is why we don't build systems. We look at everything in a case by case. I think that's a moment where you need to pray, Lord, send me a person that I can begin a journey of trust with. That's where you might want to go see a therapist. That's where you might want to go to a pastor. That's where you might, if you're, if you're married and you have a healthy marriage and that's not where the trauma is, origina is originating from, that's where you might want to stay safe in that relationship until the trust muscles are strong enough to begin to branch out carefully. But I would tell a person who's injured from trauma that you can't run this healthy lifestyle of confession if you're injured. So if I'm sitting here, which I'm not, talking about a workout ethic, and I'm teaching you all how to go to the gym, because I'm such an expert on such things, and I'm teaching you how to go to the gym, if you say, Pastor Bill, man, that gym regiment you just gave us is amazing, but I just tore my ACL, what do I do? Don't do anything I just said, you're gonna hurt yourself. It's the same thing with trauma. I'm offering right now healthy Christian practices. But if you're injured, you can't do healthy practices. You can't go jogging if your ACL is injured. You can't go jogging if you just had foot surgery two years in a row. So you have to heal before you can even adopt some of these practices. And so know yourself enough to know if you're injured, stay off that muscle. If your trust muscle is injured, stay off of it. Stay off of it. That, there's grace for that. There's mercy for that. God is going to work with uh, victims of trauma in unique and special and amazing ways and send the right people at the right time. And you do not need to put the pressure on yourself to go out there and start opening your life up any more than somebody who just had ankle surgery should go try to do the high jump. Like you don't have to do that. And so if you're injured, be in a, in a in a situation where you can receive healing for that injury, be it counseling, be it, you know, what, whatever it is. But don't try to go do these healthy things when you can't run because you're going to hurt yourself worse. Um, before we move on, I just want to make sure, is that, are we good there? Does, does everybody agree with that? Does that make sense? Good. I do agree. This is Diane again. I do agree. Um, but here again, a person may be traumatized to the point where they can't interact with people. And I think in the other examples, you mentioned the importance of prayer and prayer is okay. Talking to God, but even if you're praying in, in the presence of other people, what you're saying when you're honest and open is like a confession. So it might be less traumatic for that person to say, okay, let's pray about the issue. And those prayers go up as confessions to God because you're being honest and open about where you are. Yes. I want everybody, to, I want everybody <laughs> to see it exactly like 
physical injury. There's a point where you can't put any weight on it at all. I know this from experience. You cannot put any weight on it at all. Then there's a moment where you could sit down and put a little bit of weight on it. Then there's a moment where you could stand. Then there's a moment where you have to limp and use a walking device. Then you can walk. Then you can jog. Then you can run. And I think the person who has suffered trauma needs to know what part of that healing process are you in? And so there might be a moment, like for me, I, I was not allowed to get off the couch and put my leg down. I had to keep my leg above my heart for six weeks. Six weeks, I had to keep my leg above my heart. That even a baby step could have hurt me at that point. So the person who's undergone trauma, I'm just going to say this and move on. You deserve to trust yourself. And you're the only expert on your own life when you've gone through trauma. When you've gone through trauma, you are the expert over your life. You have the agency. You get to decide when you can put weight on it and when you can't. And I assure you with all of the gift God has given me to pastor, Jesus will work with you in that space. So the Zoe's question is kind of like a, a piggyback or a follow-up to that. What happens when the person you confided in betrays you, now you question who you can trust and it's who you can trust and who it feels safe to keep things private? Yeah. I, I literally just met with somebody who went to the gym and was harassed at the gym. And so now they're like, I don't want to go back there right now. I, it, it was a healthy place for me to be, and I don't want to go back there anymore. And then that ballooned into now I'm afraid to go to any places that are healthy for me because I don't want something bad to happen in my other safe spaces because it's just going to make me feel like nothing is safe. Right. And again, same, it's, it's a relatively similar question. If you have been betrayed, if your trust has been violated, you have to treat yourself with great care and move very, very slow with these things. And when I say move slow, move at the pace that you feel comfortable with. No one gets to tell you when you can start trusting again. You get to decide that. You get to decide that. If you've been cheated on, abused, sexually harassed, mentally, emotionally, spiritually abused, you get to decide when you put weight on those muscles again. No one can tell you that you have to or you're not going to walk in blessing or you're not going to do this or that. You get to decide. And Jesus will have mercy and grace for you in those areas. The things we're discussing when I preach on Sunday, the things we're discussing when we do Bible studies, they're general healthy practices that assume a particular amount of health for them to work. If we do a Bible study on trauma, it's going to sound much different than a basic Bible study on spiritual warfare. It's going to sound very different. But this is why I like the back and forth. If you have suffered trauma of distrust, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is, man, you, the one thing you need in your life is, is control over your life. You need to know that you still own your body and you get to make those decisions.
and God will send people to help you along and, and you'll grow and you'll know who to trust next. And if it goes bad, he's always there. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was doubted. He can speak words to you in those moments that nobody else can, that can bring healing to your life for sure. Essie, did you want to say something? No, I agree with what you said. You know, like you got to find people you can think out loud and be sincere with. And it goes both ways. Um, when a person confines in you, it's really important to make them feel com comfortable and trust. Trust is a big issue uh, when it comes to um, confining in individuals. Um, and I always thought, you know, like, let it be a stop in one ear. You know, don't have three ears, four ears that everybody, you have one ear. And, and if you need to comfort a person, you assure them with prayers and trust. Um, because a lot of litigations take place either in the secular world or the Christian world. And who needs that? A person, you have to begin with telling people, I always tell people, you know, like, hey, it's not going to leave this living room, it's not going to leave this car, or what have you. It goes both ways. Um, and I don't want people to say what I talk to them about. I've been in a many a group, and I always establish um, the ground rules let it, 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 what's said here, stay here. And that's an important foundation on any level. Yes. No, I agree with that. And again, you know, there, there are things that somebody who is like backed up in the basement of trauma and they need to say, okay, I've been in this basement of trauma a long time. I need to get some fresh air, but I am, it's dangerous out there. You know, you can just, and, and hear me out here, because this is important. You can text somebody and say, hey, can you please pray for me? Ian, can you please pray for me? If Ian's first response is, what's going on? That's it. I'm done. I'm not going to talk to you right now. If somebody texts you, can you pray for me? Please, as a member of Salem Tabernacle. Do not let your first response be what's, what's wrong or what is the issue. Say yes. Say yes. And, and, and let them tell you if they're going to tell you more. Say yes. I'll pray for you. And just pray for them. Because you don't know, even if it's somebody you know really, <clears throat> really, really well, and you would never imagine that they're struggling, that request, hey, can you please pray for me, could be the first time they're confiding in somebody in a long time. Just say yes. Just say yes. You never know with a simple question like that. It could be it could be passive aggressive or it could be somebody really coming out of the closet of trauma and saying, I'm going to try this again, but I'm going to take a real small baby step. Can you please pray for me? Just say yes. And then just intercede for them. Ian. Two quick comments from the chat. Clara wrote, forgiveness is a choice, trust is earned. Mm, love it. And Lori wrote, you can also work your other muscles to strengthen around the injured trust muscle. 
better support the injuries once you are ready for a baby step. Let's go Salem. Yes, 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 yes. You have a real injury in one area. There are other things that are not injured. Work on them. Keep them healthy. You know, that kind of stuff. When, when, I'm, when I'm laid up on the couch the second time after the foot surgery and I couldn't do much, Jacqueline had me on a particular diet. She's like, you can control what you eat. Great. So excited. Cannot wait to have carrots now that I can't do anything, right? But it's, there are things you can do that can strengthen you for the moments when you don't have to let your whole life rot because there's an area. So, Lori, that's a great point. The idea that trust is earned, absolutely, man. You can forgive somebody long before you can trust them again, for real. You can let go and not hold somebody, like not, not, not want them to get repaid. That's what forgiveness is. You can forgive somebody and say, I'm forgiving you, but it's a long while before I trust you again. That is important, and that is true. Pastor, that is important, and that is true. Yeah. When someone asks to pray for me, I figure they put their trust in you, that you have a pipeline to God, and you know Jesus, and it comes with trust, and they trust you. So, and if someone asks me, can you please pray? Obviously, they trust me that I'm a praying person. They didn't trust any. They came to me to ask between me and God and have that relationship and what have you. You know, they trust you to pray for them. You know, they yeah. don't ask anybody, but they came to you. That's right. They come to Tom, Dick, and Harry. They wanted you. It's between them, God, and you. Yeah. You know? Yes. 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 Show that you are mature by not if, if somebody ever is like oh, i'm going through a tough time right now i'm having a really bad day don't let your first just just practice not letting your first response be tell me what's going on what's wrong hey <laughs> somebody text me right now hey pastor i'm having a really bad day i'm so sorry to hear that what can i do for you it starts to give you credibility that you're not a curious cat that you are ready to do, you're available to do what they are asking you to do. It's important that we're that way. It's very important that we are that way. I, mean, I love, I absolutely love these questions, questions about confession and still going through it a lot of times, the question about trauma. I mean, listen, this is when an, uh, an evil spirit tries to get you to be private. There are times when the Holy Spirit is telling you to be private because you've undergone trauma. And the evil spirit will be telling you to start, well, you're going to, if you don't tell anybody, if you don't confide in somebody, you're going to stay like this for the rest of your life. That might not be true. It might be the Holy Spirit telling you, this is not a year for you to start opening up. This is a year for you to be still and know that I am God. So we have to be able to discern what is the spirit behind what we're feeling led to do. And that's why we need prayer. And that's why we need people in our life to say, to help guide us through that. And there are people out there who are called to do these things. You're go to a church because you have pastors and elders who are called to do these things. There are spiritual directors who are called to do these things. There are therapists who are called to do these things, you know, and you can use 
any and all of those resources, regardless of what you're going through, when you're ready to. And I think, you know, I, I would want people to know, like Jacqueline and I support the use of all of those uh, resources when you're ready to. Any more, E? All right. In respect of everybody's time, granted, we're supposed to end at 8.30, but you all don't have to drive home. So let's pretend there's like a 10-minute drive home, give or take. Maybe you stop at the store, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll go through the last one, maybe not as uh, detailed, so we'll move through it a little bit quicker. So we just did Spoiled Child. We just did Secret Lover. Uh, military Commander. Military Commander. Heater in Galatians. This is when the enemy disrupts our growth through attacking weaknesses, complacency, and pride. Let me read you what happens to Peter in Galatians, and we will go from there. I didn't give the guys this text, so don't worry about it. Just listen. Paul is writing in Galatians, and he says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the Jewish people. And so what Paul is saying here is there was a moment where Peter was doing the right thing. He was eating with the Gentiles, and as soon as some of his own people showed up, he pulled back and he separated himself from the Gentiles. And Paul said, I had to oppose him to his face. Because he was acting hypocritically. Jesus commanded us to go to all nations. And the minute Peter was with others who were different than him, as soon as other people showed up, Peter backed off because he didn't want to be seen with the Gentiles. Military commander disrupts our growth through attacking our weakness and our pride. This is brought on by the sin of assumption or as Randall Worley recently said on Twitter, a suicide. We're committing a suicide when we're making assess, uh, assumptions about our own life. Listen to me carefully. The assumption we make is the sin of thinking we are capable of knowing our own sin. We think we know where we're sinful and where we're not. There is a sin of thinking you know your sin and don't need anybody else to tell it to you. Peter needed to be opposed by Paul because he didn't realize he was doing it again. This has happened to Peter in the past. The enemy was attacking Peter's weakness. Well, what was Peter's weakness? One of his weaknesses was needing to prove himself. The weakness needing to prove himself. Well, when did Peter need to prove himself? He needed to prove himself when he tried to walk on water. Jesus was out there. The disciples were in the boat. Peter tries to walk on water and he sinks in the water. And when Jesus goes to lift him up out of the water, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And I think a lot of us think that Jesus was talking about why Peter sank. But I think Jesus was talking about why Peter even thought he needed to get out of the boat in the first place. You don't need to prove yourself to other people, Peter. Your job is to be the first bishop of the church. Your job is to be the first pastor of the church. And pastors don't get out of the boat when it's sinking. Good leaders stay in the boat while it's sinking and do everything they can to save everybody else. That's why Paul, when his ship is wrecked at the end of Acts, he doesn't try to walk on the water. No one ever tries to walk on the water again because Jesus made it clear you shouldn't try to prove yourself that way. So it's brought on by assumption and weakness. Peter needed to prove himself. And then third, complacency and pride. Peter needed to assert himself. He tried to prove himself by walking on the water because he was worried about what other people thought. Then at the end of the gospel, he tries to assert himself by saying, if none go with you, still I will follow. If all of these fall away, I'll be the one to not fall away. So do you see the themes in Peter's life? He's very uncomfortable about what other people think, and he needs to show himself and them that he's capable. Then a lot of healing takes place, a lot of time goes by, and then here's Peter now, sitting with Gentiles, and when some Jewish people show up, Peter runs away from the Gentiles because he's still, to Lori's question before, Peter's still dealing with this issue. He's still worried about what other people think. The devil is being a military commander now and striking Peter right in between the armor, right where the armor is soft. He's striking him. And Peter's issue is what people think. Your issue is different. My issue is different. But Peter is getting, and so what does Peter need? How do you withstand this temptation when, when the devil is attacking you in your area of growth? You withstand it by self-awareness and humility. Learning yourself and being humble. And that means being willing to be called out, which ties this whole thing together. It's the one thing Cain couldn't do because he was a spoiled child. God tried to teach Cain something, and Cain thought you were rejecting me, and it all fell apart. Paul rebukes Peter, and Peter presumably says, thank you. You saved me from myself. You saved me from causing problems in other people's lives. And so there's going to be moments where the enemy is hitting you right where your weakness is. Lori, to your point, right in that area where you keep messing up, you keep getting it wrong. At that point, we need self-awareness. We need to know this is an area that I just, I can't grapple with by myself. I need to be humble. And if somebody's calling me out on it, if somebody's telling me something I need to hear, I need to be willing to try to hear it. And let me tell you, God is annoying, and he often sends the last person you would ever want to listen to. Ever want to listen to. And maybe they were even wrong for saying it to you. And the Holy Spirit's like, you're right. 
Bill, they were wrong for saying that to you. And I'm like, thank you. And the Holy Spirit's like, but you know they were right about what they said. And you're like, no. Holy Spirit's like, you know what? Ian, that person never should have said that to you. And Ian's like, that's right. And he goes, but now that they said it, you know they're kind of right, right? And you're like, no. Like, we have to be willing to take the hit when the hit comes and say, you know what, you're right. I don't want to keep dealing with this. You're right. And Peter did. Peter had the grace. He had the humility. He had the self-awareness to say, all right. All right, Paul, you're right. Paul, this new convert that was just killing Christians is now rebuking me. Like, all right, Paul, at least I didn't kill them like you did. I just stopped eating with them. Like, he could have said that. But he's like, okay, good point. You make, you make a good point. And if you read the letters of Peter uh, towards the end of the Bible, you can see that he's a changed man in this area. Over and over and over again, you hear it in his writings. He's a changed man in this area. It took a long time for Peter to work through his weakness. It's going to take you a long time to work through your weakness. It's going to take me, I'm, I'm finding in my life now, one of, one of God's greatest gifts are my weaknesses because those are the areas where I just have to learn humility. They're the areas where I have to learn to be open. They're the areas where I have to learn to be self-aware. And it's not fun, but it's helpful. It's healing. And not just healing for you. When Peter heals, he sits back down with the Gentiles again, and they have somebody bringing justice. That's what the armor of God was for. Remember Isaiah 59? The armor of God teaches the church to bring justice. And there's no justice if Peter only wants to sit down with people who look like him and agree with him and, you know, make him not have to be uncomfortable at all. And then Paul's like, no, Peter, we have to sit down with the Gentiles. They're different than us. They have different background than us. They have a different culture than us. And we have to show them that we can sit down and have communion with them as easily as we can have communion with anybody else. And that is the beginning of justice. That is the beginning of bringing diversity to the table. That's the beginning of equity. And that's what the church needs to learn. We need to receive our rebukes. So when you're the spoiled child, you need some spiritual direction. When you're the secret lover, you need to have somebody that you can talk to. When you're getting attacked by the military commander, you might need to be rebuked. You might need a harsh word. You might need that discipline to come into your life and have somebody just tell you the truth. You have to be able to say, you know what? You're right. You are right. You'll surprise somebody. If somebody says, you know what? I don't, I don't know. The way, the, way you're, the way I just heard you talking to that person, that, that was not the way you should be talking to them. If you turn around and say, you know what? Thank you. Their head's going to spin around. Everybody's waiting for the argument. Show the people in your home. Show your kids. Show your spouse. Show your friends that you are the kind of person who can receive critique and take it seriously. If they're wrong, thank you for trying. If they're right, ouch, but thank you. So that's it. That's all I have for tonight. That's all. It's done. Wow.
Pasner. Yeah. Hey, Sal. Sal. Um, a humble moment here. Humility. And I didn't realize until this past Sunday when you you preached on space in the church with people going through, you know, with, like you spoke on the masks this, this past Sunday. And I had made a comment or I was talking out of, you know, because we have battles going on in this mind of ours. And within our flesh, within our soul, it just, there's a constant battle of how we sometimes will say things that we don't even realize what we're saying and how it affects people. And after your, the sermon you spoke on, on Sunday, it hit me like, Wow, like he said, he talked about what I, what I did in, you know, to someone in the church and they might've gotten offended, which I don't blame them, but, you know, I kind of realized now, wow, Lord, you know, forgive me for what I, and I hope the church forgives me, you know, because I'm, I'm being humble right now until, you know, being honest and you know the just that little <clears throat> you know that that wrong saying that we can say to somebody and it, it just there maybe their whole day their whole week they you know and i i was thinking about it you know after this past sunday like wow this real you know and now that was a healing for me because now I've I've seen and you know and heard from you. Hey, this this was me. What you know, and uh, you know I was even crying about it. Like wow, I you know you know we struggle with this this our mind, our flesh, and and the, the, our spirit and our soul. You know it, it's you know because. The mind and the flesh has been, we've been together for a long time. But when the spirit and, and Lord, we receive the Lord as a Lord and Savior comes into you. Now there's a new resident within our, you know, our soul that they just clash. The, the, the you know, because the mind, you know, we're, Every intent of the heart is evil, God says, you know. But there's that clash that God is bringing us day in, day out of being saved, you know. And uh, I just had to get that, you know. Off, uh, now I feel relieved. No, I'm, be, I'm, you know, I'm first of all. First of all, Sal, I'm proud of you. So thank you for sharing that. And, and, and thank you for being open enough to have that moment. And I can tell you, and I want everybody to hear this, have fun with those moments. Don't, 
don't let those moments make you feel unworthy. Have fun with those moments. I mean, I remember it was two days ago, three days ago, I was doing my morning devotional time, which for me is like a very, very regimented time. And in it, the Holy Spirit just reminded me of something that I used to do a lot that was really, really good uh, in, in the home and that I, I just kind of got away from after the, you know, from between COVID and the surgeries. I just, I just got away from a few things that I was doing and the Holy Spirit reminded me of it. And at first I felt bad. I was like, man, you know, right when Jacqueline's doing so much to get me through these two surgeries, I stopped doing something that I was doing that was very helpful for her. And so right behind the, the, oh, dang it moment was this excitement that like, God's not reminding, he's not telling me this because he's disgusted with me. He's telling me this because there's a, he knows that I can start doing this again and bring some more life and, and joy to my home. And so it's like, whenever something is pointed out that you could be doing better or that you didn't do well and that God wants you to do better with, it should also be an exciting moment because he doesn't tell you anything that he's not giving you the grace to do. And so it immediately means if you do this, if you start living this way, not just your life, but the lives around you are going to get better. And that's an exciting thing. Like that should be a moment where you're like, this is why I get up with you in the morning, Lord, because you remind me of these things and you tell them to me. Yes. One more question from Stephanie. Sorry. It's okay. Is it ever possible that the enemy can hit you with a three-piece combo, all three evil spirits? If so, which do you start addressing first? Oh, I I knew this was going to happen tonight. When Whenever we lay things out like this, uh, you know, this spirit, that spirit, this spirit, whenever we lay things out like this, I, I and I forgot to say it at the beginning, so Steph, thank you. I never want anybody to see it as like separate, clean and separate different things. So like when you, when you talk about the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like patience is not different than love. Kindness is not different than gentleness. Like all the fruit of the spirit, they all overlap with each other. And every fruit of the spirit has all the other fruit of the spirit in it. And so like, you can't be patient and not loving. Right. And so same thing with like the demonic, when we talk about this, like the spoiled child is in the secret lover and he's in the military commander the military commander is in the secret. It's just their ways of it's separating something that's very, very messy and convoluted just so we can talk about it. But I don't want people thinking, okay, which one is this? Like, it's just a way of giving us language and sentences and structure to know that the enemy is trying to disrupt us and we need other people and humility and self-awareness to know that it's happening and to know what to do when it's happening. So I wouldn't get stuck on like which three, which one of the three, because A, there's probably a cabillion more, like maybe two cabillion more. and B, they're all muddled together. So I would just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into like, which one am I as much as I would just say like, 
This is just language to start to give to your prayer life, to you explaining things to yourself and explaining things to other people. It's just a way of putting language on it so we can see it more clearly, pulling it apart. But it's really one gigantic mess of attack on our lives. He hits us with much more than a three-piece combo stuff. <laughs> All right, Pastor, I've got a, a question for you. Um, sure. These, um, as we're talking about these three ways the enemy wants to make war on us, when you started the message tonight, you said us refers to the church. And yet, as we talked about these things, it was more like, how do we respond as individuals? So can I assume that if we practice these things as individuals, because we're part of the body of Christ, that that helps the entire body. Have I got that correct? Yeah, man. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yes. I mean, okay. you know, you and I have gone through some surgery now, Mike, and we'll realize, you know, no, it, it affects tomorrow. other parts of the body very, very quickly when, there you know, right. And so, you know, I think, yes, I think that it's the balance between you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so, I guess to to package your point into like some sort of like sermon sentence, it would be that when you are working through spiritual warfare, you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing it for everybody that you're a part of. So when I, when I wake up in the morning and the Lord talks to me about my life and I say, okay, I want to, I want to do better. That's just not, that's not me just doing that for me or for my family that's also one of the ways that I serve all of you. It's one of the ways we serve each other is by healing and growing. It's how we serve each other as well. And the more that we heal and grow, the easier it is for other parts of the body to heal and grow. If we do this together, it's, it's why the devil is a, is, a, is a toothless lion. It's why he's a spectacle. Satan wins every time we think that it's just us versus him. He loses very easily when we realize it's the church versus him. And so when we're all working on where the spirit is telling us to grow, and when we're all discerning, you know, the devil's schemes, it's, it's making it easier for everybody else. People we go to church with at Salem and people we don't even know, people at St. Joachim's, people at Valley Christian, they're, all their lives are getting better when we're discerning the voice of the Lord from the voice of the enemy. Like everybody's life is getting better when we do this. That's why Paul even alludes at the beginning of Ephesians that when we get this right, we even show the demons a wisdom. We even, we are witnessing to even the evil that exists when we are getting it right. Everything gets better as we start to pursue this relationship with, with the Lord and, and listen to what he has to say. So absolutely, Mike. I, the answer to your question is yes, in ways that are so much more than we could possibly understand. When we are walking with the Lord and we're willing to hear the hard truths and repent and go through our Lenten seasons, we are, we are helping other people have breakthrough that have no idea who we are. It's one of the ways we serve the world around us.
Anything else? We can go one more question. Is there anything on the chat? No, nothing on the chat. All right. Well, Salem, I love you. I miss you. One more week apart from each other. Absence only makes the heart grow fonder. I'm sure you're all going to love to see me, and I'm going to love to see you when we're back here. I'm calling it. I'm declaring it in the name of Jesus. I'm manifesting it that we will be here a week from Sunday. And if we're not, it's because there's sin in the camp someplace, and I will find it, and I will eradicate. I'm just kidding. Not at all. We will be here as soon as it's safe to be here. And in the meantime, we can keep doing this. And uh, let's keep each other in prayer and everything. Salem, love you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.